Well, good morning, everyone. I just realized the power of what I have in my hand here. Uh, Ray, if you decide to try to go to sleep. I'm... Yeah. Well, let's pray and uh, trust the Lord for a, a good morning in his word. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your love for us, both as individuals and as a church. Thank you for giving us your word, which is living and active and never fades away. Thank you for the great koinonia we have, the great love we have for each other. And we pray for the days ahead, Lord, that they would be days filled with joy, filled with power, filled with growth, filled with uh, advancing your kingdom. And uh, we pray that the days ahead would be even greater than the days behind us, Lord. And uh, give us faith for that. We love you. We praise you. We ask you to anoint and bless this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to preach on, um, I will make you fishers of men. I want to preach on evangelism this morning. Um, but I, uh, specifically, I want to talk about what some have called pre-evangelism, that is um, engaging the lost before you ever present the gospel. And uh, I want to begin by showing you three models or ways of thinking about evangelism that we have encountered in the past. Um, I want to talk about, touch on some benefits of doing evangelism, and then get specific about six or seven ways that uh, we can plow the ground and scatter seed before actually ever sharing the gospel. So I'm viewing this not as a preaching kind of message, but more as an equipping kind of message. So if you have a pen or pencil or um, can take notes on your phone or something, you might, might want to do that. I want to convey sort of as an overall theme that we can do this. We can do this. We can share our faith in a powerful and effective way. And so here are a few um, scriptures to kind of prime the pump for us. Uh, first of all, from Matthew 5, 18 and 19. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then from Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then from 2 Timothy 4, 5, this is where Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, but you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And uh, just want to add one that's not on the screen, but it's such an encouraging three verses. Listen to these. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. 
How many of you would say amen to that? Our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so, as we go on, I would like you to have it in your minds that you are already adequate to do this. You are already, uh, God has already made us uh, adequate to share our faith and to share the gospel with the people around us. Um, so let's, let's look at the first model that many of us are familiar with. This is, of course, from the Navigators, from Dawson Trotman. Um, this is from the 1930s. He developed this, what he calls the wheel. And this is supposed to illustrate for people, for disciples of Christ, um, what we need to do to be healthy Christians. Uh, some of the other terms that were used in, have been used to describe this model is the balanced Christian life or the fruitful Christian life or the vibrant Christian life or the healthy Christian life. Dawson Troutman got saved when he was about 20 and when he was 22, he was teaching Sunday school to a group of boys and um, he was using an illustration called the stool, like a three-legged stool. And the legs on that stool were evangelism, prayer, and the word. Fellowship wasn't even on that. Um, but Dawson didn't like that illustration. because It was the best he knew at the time, but he didn't like it because a stool, he said, is for sitting down. And it's not a good uh, picture of the active, engaged Christian life. And so he uh, changed it into, he asked the Lord, and he feels the Lord gave him the image of a wheel that's turning. And then as time went on, he added a fourth spoke, but it's not fellowship. The fourth spoke that he added was called um, living the life because he, he wanted people to understand that the Bible... Um, living the Christian life has to affect every facet of our lives. You can understand how he had that, wanted that to be one of the legs. Um, Dr. Glasser, the dean of the School of Missions at Fuller Theological Seminary, said this, Dawson was one of the pioneers in reacting against easy believism. Easy believism. You can't treat a command in the Bible as advice, Dawson said. A command is a command. And so Dawson Trotman's heart was to get away, teach people to get away from easy believism. And as time went on, even after his death, that fourth spoke became labeled fellowship uh, instead of living the life. And you see the obedient Christian in action is around and Christ is in the center. Um, I would say just parenthetically that we do a fantastic job as a church at that last spoke fellowship, koinonia, loving each other, knowing each other, being involved in each other's life. I think we're strong on the word and prayer, but I think you would agree with me that probably our weakest uh, spoke is witnessing. And so we're trying to address that 
uh, more today. The next model, um, those of you who were discipled uh, in the 70s, is the Engel scale. How many of you remember being discipled about the Engel scale? And the idea is that salvation is often a process. And you'll see that it goes from no awareness of God to some awareness of God to contact with Christians, interest in Jesus, and so on up the chart. Now, today we're going to be dealing with basically steps one through six or one through seven. These pre-evangelism things, getting people in contact with Christians, interested in, in Christian literature and uh, life with Christ. But uh, the thing I want to point out about this um, approach to evangelism that I really like is the idea that if you help someone move, let's say, from step four, interest in Jesus, to step five, investigating Jesus, have you done evangelism? Are you doing evangelism if you get a person to move from four to five or three to four? Or do you have to see them uh, make decision number 10 there, a decision to surrender to Jesus? I think you would all agree with me that if, if you help a person move one step, you are doing evangelism. And to me, that's very encouraging that we don't have to see that decision for Christ necessarily. Um, and then the uh, third model is what's called the four fields from Mark 4, uh, 26 and following. And this, this is what we were trained in most recently back in February. About 20 or 30 of us were in the hospitality room and we spent the day being trained by a group called uh, No Place Left. Let me read uh, the uh, verses that they use to uh, describe this four-stage process. Um, this is from Mark 4:26. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts up and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so this model asks us to break evangelism down into four chunks, four bite-sized pieces, you will. The first is the go stage. The second is the gospel stage where you share the gospel. The third is the gathering in the harvest where they come to Christ. And the fourth is where you grow disciples. So again, today, we're just going to look at the go stage. Um, you might remember I preached in March a little bit on this. And um, they, say that, they say that, you know, evangelism in our day is not about cold calls knocking on doors. But it's about reaching your friends, your family, uh, your work acquaintances, basically what's called your sphere of influence. They call it a relational map. And so you begin to think about your relational map. 
We might say that this is, what I'm talking about today is as-you-go evangelism. We've often shared from this pulpit that uh, the Great Commission, uh, go and make disciples, that word go there can be translated when you go, if you go, and as you go. So today we're talking about as you go about doing life, um, evangelize. Let's talk about the benefits for a minute of doing evangelism. I think the first benefit we, we uh, experience is we avoid that easy believism and the low-level guilt that you feel when you're not evangelizing. Can anybody relate to that? You know, if you're, if you're a committed Christian and yet you're not evangelizing regularly, um, at least I'll speak for myself, there's this low level of guilt. Am I just accepting all the blessings of God, but I'm not willing to uh, promote him out in the culture, out in the marketplace? That's what Dawson Trotman was calling easy believism. So, if we start to evangelize or we are evangelizing, the first thing, the first benefit is we avoid that. We avoid the sense that we're not the real deal, the insecurity of that. Um, secondly, um, we know that when we're obedient to Christ, we experience a more intimate disclosure of his presence. Um, let me read John 14, 21 to you. Think about this in relation to evangelism. He who has my commandments and keeps them. So let me rephrase that. He who evangelizes, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So what I'm proposing to you is if you want a more intimate disclosure, a more intimate sense of the presence of the Lord, evangelism is tied to that. Because in Mark 16, 15, we read, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a command. And here we read that if we do what he commands us, he will, what? Disclose himself to us. So that's another benefit. And then a third benefit is our boldness increases uh, as we see the supernatural power of God. Um, you remember when Randy Harrison was here and he talked about going, his church members going to that household family where um, they didn't know the Lord and uh, one, of the, one of the spouses had pain in their feet so bad they couldn't walk. And uh, the other one needed a job. And so they prayed and left. And uh, I don't know if it was the next, I think it was the next Sunday, Randy said, they were in church because God had answered both those prayers. So you see the supernatural, uh, I believe, when you start to risk, when you start to um, uh, pray for people uh, in his name. And then lastly, uh, there's more joy, amen? More joy. Listen to 1 John, the first few verses. 
1 John chapter 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life, this life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then John, the old apostle, says this, And these things we write so that what? Our joy may be made complete. Isn't there joy when uh, you share with someone the love of God and uh, perhaps see them turn their lives over to Christ? Many writers have said there's no greater joy than seeing someone come to Christ in your presence. So, those are some of the benefits. What are the uh, effects of not doing evangelism? Well, uh, we're not as spiritually healthy, are we? It's almost like we've got a flat tire. Imagine a car with instead of four spokes, it's got the four tires, but one of, them ha one of the tires is flat. And we just keep driving and driving and driving on that flat tire. Uh, it's not a pretty picture to think about, is it? But if that tire is vibrant and, and, and has the same pressure as the others, you roll on down the road very smoothly. We have uh, an underlying sense of guilt and insecurity about our Christian walk. I mentioned that before. Again, I'll speak for myself. I don't know about you, but if I'm not witnessing, if I'm being lazy, um, just choosing not to do it, uh, and yet I feel that I should be, there's this underlying current of guilt and insecurity in my life. Am I the real deal? Am I really willing? You know, maybe I'm just wanting that American Christianity, that uh, easy believism as opposed to the New Testament Christianity and gospel Christianity that we see. Uh, another one is uh, the supernatural power of God in our lives is probably less evident because what is the purpose of the supernatural power of God? Often, if not most, uh, in the scriptures, it's to confirm the gospel, isn't it? And so if we want more power, if we want to see more miracles, uh, I think that is linked to evangelism um, because God wants to confirm his word with signs and wonders as in um, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Let me read that. This was after... Peter and others got out of jail, and they're meeting with their, their, their uh, fellow believers, and they say, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. 
I think we have a decreased sense of joy. I think we have less love for the lost if we're not evangelizing. And, you know, our church and missions calling, I think, will not advance. I think it will suffer. I don't think we can rely on transfer growth alone for our church to move forward and to advance in its kingdom impact. I think we need to see new believers come. We need to see those testimonies come. We need to see those changed lives, those signs and wonders following. And then lastly, I think if we don't evangelize, we grieve the heart of God. All right, so we're talking about this go stage, that first stage. And uh, I don't think that, I don't think that gospel tracks are working very well in our culture um, because I think they go, they go straight to the second stage, whereas in our culture, I think we need some relational connection. We need some pre-evangelism first. Let me give you a kind of a funny metaphor. Uh, when Laura and I were first married, she was pregnant with Abigail. It was either our first, probably our first winter, wasn't it, honey? Together as married people, first or second. Anyway, we were up in northern Minnesota. Um, that's where we lived at the time, and food was scarce. And so we, uh, I decided to take Laura ice fishing. And so we went out on a, a lake on the Canadian border, and I augured a couple of holes in the ice, you know, maybe 25, 30 yards apart. And I set Laura up with her, uh, Rebecca, have you ever heard of tip-ups? You know, they're these little things with a flag on them, and when the fish takes it, this flag pops up and waves at you. And so Laura, I thought she was set up with that, and I went over to my fishing hole and baited my hook and dropped the line, and I could just, just envision those, you know, those lake trout down there at the bottom, just looking at that and getting ready to strike. Well, I, I was focused for, for maybe an hour on my fishing hole until I looked over at Laura's, and uh, she's, her, her fishing gear is gone, and she's just dropping little bits of dried popcorn, which she had for morning sickness in her pocket, into her hole. And I'm thinking, what is she doing? And so I went over there, and, and she, she was feeding the lake trout right there. They were coming to the surface to, to eat her popcorn. She was attracting them uh, while I was, I don't know wh what they were doing with mine, but I was fishing way too deep, you know, and, and she's just got them all right there like little pets and, of course, infuriated me. But um, let's continue on here. There's some presuppositions to this uh, stage or this, this go stage. One is that we're talking about evangelism before you ever share the gospel. Um, a second assumption is you're approaching this as a servant rather than a salesman. That's really important to me, that when we do evangelism, we're not just... Um, approaching it as a method or uh, a, gi a gimmick, 
or something totally canned, but our heart is to serve the person that we're, we're talking to. We really want to care about them, don't we? Not just try to uh, get a notch in our belt, so to speak. And uh, a third assumption is we can be relaxed because it's God's job to draw the person and cause their growth towards him. Here's a beautiful passage. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one of us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Amen. Well, so let's start our six or seven uh, ways that we can uh, activate Go Stage evangelism. Uh, the first one is to engage in targeted prayer for the lost. Um, Jesus prayed in John 17, 20, for those yet to believe or those who would believe through the testimony of his 12 apostles. And so Jesus prayed uh, for the lost or those who were currently lost. So you, it's right for you to pray for those in your relational, relational map to be drawn to Christ. And, and as we pray for people in our sphere, guess what happens? Our love, the love of Christ becomes uh, more, fills our heart. Um, we can pray for divine appointments. We can pray for boldness and wisdom. And to, as John 5, 29 says, to see what the Father's doing. Jesus prayed, I, you know, I only do, or he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. So there's a lot of purposes to pray evangelistically, not just for the people but what it does in us. Amen? E.M. Um, e. Bounds writes, Talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. Pretty powerful quote. Well, uh, back in March when I first preached on evangelism. No, I don't think it was another message. Um, our sister Karen Price really took that message to heart, to pray for boldness, specifically in her gym. And she has a wonderful testimony that I've asked her to come and share. Karen, would you come? Just some fantastic ways that she's seen God move through her prayers. Good morning. Everybody can hear me? Good. Yeah. Um, over two years ago, I went ahead and joined the Y for really an exercise program, but also to just help me with some of the stresses that were in my life. And it was um, basically my time, my time of solitude. I would work out. I'd go swim and I just kind of put on these blinders and uh, definitely wasn't doing any of this at the gym and uh, but it was my time and I felt fine with it and then one Sunday morning Jim Grinnell preached and uh, it really was February 26th because yeah I, I have little prayer cards where I put dates and things on it 
So he was preaching, and he said the word boldness, and I just gave this groan, not out loud, um, but just a groan because I knew in my heart that my solitude blinder time at the gym was over and that it was time to start uh, just developing relationships and making friends. So I went home, and I wrote boldness on one of my prayer cards, and I just began to pray that, that I would have boldness and would take opportunities. And there are a lot of stories, but I just want to share one, um, one today. So went to the gym that week. I go, I go five to six times a week. And, um, and I noticed that there were several Muslim women, which really I had never noticed before. And I don't know if very many of you have been to a pool with Muslim women, but you see their face, and you see their hands, and their feet and everything else is covered, so it's, they're very obvious. And I noticed that everybody avoided eye contact and, um, and really no one ever acknowledged them. So I thought, well, I'll just, you know, smile and nod. And so I did a lot of smiling and nod, and really conversations never took place, which is also understandable because we're in a pool. Um, but one day um, a woman came in um, dressed in the Muslim swimwear, and she had her teenage daughter with her. And uh, it was obvious that the daughter had major special needs. So I stuck, struck up a conversation with her. And um, so she was telling me, you know, about her daughter. And then she started telling me that when her daughter was young that she had gone to uh, the little lighthouse. And I thought, ah, opportunity, opportunity. Um, so, um, so we talked a little bit about that. And, uh, and she said, you know, she said, my daughter doesn't talk at all, and she didn't. She never said a word the whole time she was there. But she said when she was at the little lighthouse, she learned some songs. And she said she learned the song, Jesus Loves Me. And I said, oh, you know, I know that song. I'm a Christian. So I talked a little bit about that. And I said, well, let me ask you. I said, how does her doing that every day fit in with your Muslim faith? And she said, well, she said, for, for me it's okay. Um, but she said my husband really struggles with it. And, um, and she said, but I've told my husband that, you know, if our daughter believes that Jesus loves her, you know, that, that's not, that can't be a bad thing because it's somebody else that loves her. So I said that, you know, I said, well, I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, yeah, I do believe that Jesus loves and he loves those people that believe him. And she said, well, she said, I'm not a Christian. She said, and I don't believe that. But, um, but she, then the little girl, well, the teenager, started to leave. So she left, and she said, well, I'll talk to you again. So I've gone back the same day, same time, and I've never seen her again. But I think the thing that's amazing to me and that I'm still in awe of, and this has happened some time ago, was that, you know, God's ways are not our ways. I would have never thought of a Muslim family giving birth to a little girl with such special needs who went to Little Lighthouse for a time and a season and now every day in that home, she sings, Jesus loves me. And I think a lot of the things that you're saying are so true. And for me, is every day I am amazed that God is working in this family, that I had the opportunity to meet um, at the pool for that short time and season. So I look forward to seeing them again and talking to her and uh, going from one to two or three or however many it goes on the on that staircase. So thank you for letting me share. Isn't that great? A second way you can uh, 
evangelize in this stage is to be observant of people, um, show genuine interest, affirm in some way. The no, no Place Left Behind people talked about Acts 17.22, where Paul did this, and he said, men of Athens, he started his speech by saying, uh, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in every way. He affirmed them, and then he went on to, to share the gospel. Think about your barber or your stylist. Ray, think about your barber. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, might, you might think, uh, how do I connect with my barber or my stylist? You know, someone who I see every month or two or whatever it is. Um, you might say something like this, how many haircuts do you do a day? And whatever their answer is, wow, that's a lot. You must, you must really work hard or you must really love your family. Uh, to work that hard. And it presents a little bit of a connection, an affirmation. Everybody needs an affirmation. And then try to discern a need. What do they talk about? Do they talk about their marriage? Do they talk about their kids? Do they talk about a future that they dream of or a vacation or something? And, uh, and maybe try to remember that and write it on your prayer list when you go home. And so then a month later when you see them, you can you can ask them about that vacation and say, you know, I prayed that you'd have a really good time and get the rest you needed. And again, we're joining them, we're serving them, we're loving them. Another thing you can do is offer to pray for them in the moment. Uh, not, not so much, I'll pray for you as you head out the door. We all do that, don't we? I'll pray for you. And uh, you're not really sure whether the person's going to pray for you or not. You know, is it just sort of a, a way of saying goodbye and, uh, or do, do they really pray? So um, one thing you can do is you can say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I really believe he can do anything. Um, is there something I can pray for you about? Uh, and about half the people will say, yeah, there is. And about half won't. Of the half that don't, if if uh, they say, no, I'm good, you can say, well, is there any miracle you need in your life? Everyone I know is fighting a great battle. Uh, can, I, can I somehow pray for you for a miracle? And most people will look up and they'll think of something. And so then you can pray for them and go home and write it on your prayer list. Um, I think some helpful phrases is, I believe God can do anything. And I also like everybody I know is fighting some kind of great battle. How can I, how can I pray for yours? Um, and then you might have an opportunity to share your testimony. And again, the training we received talked about doing it in 30 seconds. How many think they could do that? How many, raise your hands high. How many of you think you could do, share your testimony in 30 seconds? Good. So here's how it would look for me. Um, I would say something like, by the way, uh, the no training uh, or no place left behind training, they said, ask the person if you can share a 30-second story of hope. I sort of disagree with that. I think you ought to just crash the door down and just, just say it. Um, because once you've started, what can they do? Uh, it'd be pretty hard to stop you. So just in as natural a way as possible, you know, say, you know, there was a time 
In my life, when I was very depressed, I really had everything. My family was great, plenty of money, good education. But when I looked inside myself, all I saw was selfishness and hypocrisy. Uh, but when I chose to follow Christ and received his forgiveness, he really gave me a new beginning. And today I have peace, I have joy, I have purpose, I know he's real. Do you have, did anything like this ever happen to you? So I think that was about 30 seconds, and um, I think it could flow pretty naturally. So this is another thing you can do. Have any of you done that recently? Shared your testimony. Nathan? Taylor? Great. Another thing you can do is offer a Christian book to them. I've become a big believer in giving away Christian books. So at my counseling office, I have several hundreds of dollars of books because when a man comes into my office with a sexual addiction... I don't want to have to say, go on Amazon Prime and order this book because life happens and it might be two weeks before he gets the book. So I just hand him the book. Here you go. This is what you need. Um, I used to try to charge him, you know, so he'd pay cash, but I just gave up on it. It was, it was too much of a headache. So... What I think we could do is the same with Christian books. Imagine yourself driving around town with a box of books on your back, in your back seat. The best Christian book you know on marriage, for example. The best Christian book you know on um, making money. The best Christian book you know on, what are some of their, peace. How do you get peace? Anxious for Nothing by Max Licato is a great book. And there's usually in a Christian book, there is a, a page or a chapter devoted to how to give your life to Christ. If you have to pay, let's say you invest $100 in books to ride around in the back of your car. And let's say it's two months before you give one away. But let's say that one you give away moves someone from step three to step four and let's say that book cost you $11. Is that worth it to you? How many would say, yeah, it's worth it to me? It's worth it to me to, to spend $11 for someone to move closer to Christ. And I think that books can do that, especially Christian books. Um, so there are some examples there. If you buy used books on Amazon, um, they average, with shipping, they average about 6 or $7 each. So you could probably have 12 to 15 books for 100 bucks. Um, the next one is join a group that is already doing evangelism. You don't have to do the, all of this on your own. For example, we have Good News Club, we have Puppets of Praise, Vacation Bible school, short-term missions trips, even praying with the missions prayer band. As you pray for a country, you're praying that the gospel would go forward. That's evangelism as well as prayer. Emile Durkheim was a French uh, social scientist, sociologist, and he wrote, the very act 
of congregating is an exceptionally powerful stimulant. Once the individuals are gathered together, a sort of electricity is generated from their closeness and quickly launches them to an extraordinary height of exaltation. Um, it reminds me of Jesus saying, you know, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. And a uh, social psychologist named Jonathan Haidt talks about something called the hive switch, where when you're in a group of people with a united purpose and a united cause, uh, it's like a switch is triggered and we become like bees in a beehive where we sort of forget about ourselves and we become part of this greater whole. I saw this happen uh, a few weeks ago out at an Owasso High School football game. It had been a long time since I'd been to a, a football game. And Owasso, you know, is a booming commit, uh, community here in um, the surrounding area of Tulsa. And Corey and Ellie, my grandkids, are in the pep band there. Um, and so we went to this game. We're there about an hour early, and there are thousands of people milling around. And they start up the smoke tunnel on the field, but instead of the players running out, out come hundreds of little kids in their uh, cheerleading uniforms, their uh, pom-pom uniforms, their soccer uniforms, their little football uniforms, and and they're just running out there, you know, and the announcer's saying, these are the future Rams, and the pep band is playing, and they're, they're actually quaking, you know, as part of their deal, and swinging, and the, the, the place is just electric, you know. And then the football players run out, and there's got to be a, a gazillion of them. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, they have the, the little kids roped off, and the big players go by giving all the little Rams high fives. And uh, at halftime, you know, the band did a, this amazing performance that was really amazing. I didn't really like it very much because it was avant-garde. But, but the point is, they got everybody out there on the field. It was, oh, and I forgot, the, the what do they call it, honey, the pep, huh? Student you know, the students who all dress up and they all stand in one section, you know, when a touchdown was scored, they'd just go crazy. They had bags of flour that they'd cut the top off and just go like this. And, you know, flour would be flying everywhere. And it was just one of these electric, electric moments. Uh, I want to see that here at church, you know? Who's bringing flour next Sunday? Tom's going, oh, Jim. <laughs> All right. Um, so we can join a group. I do believe that that hive switch thing is building here. Do you realize that at least the last two months there has been a testimony every morning? You may not realize that, but somebody has brought a, a testimony the last uh, eight weeks at least. So I want to give you a, a summary slide here. We can engage in targeted prayer. We can show genuine interest and affirm them. We can offer to pray with them. We can give our 30-second testimony. We can give them a Christian book. 
we can join a group that's already doing evangelism. I failed to mention here, we can invite them to church. And so there are a lot of ways that we can do evangelism before we ever actually share the gospel. Here's a beautiful little closing uh, slide with Ecclesiastes um, 11, 5, and 6. That's just an inspirational uh, verse that's sometimes applied to evangelism. Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how bones are formed in the womb, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. And I thought this picture was so fitting because the couple has planted their seed and now they're praying that God will give them a wonderful harvest. So... um, I want to pray, and here's what I'm going to pray. See if you agree with these prayers. I want to pray, number one, that we as a church and we as individuals, that we would reject that easy believism. Can I get an amen to that? I want to pray that it would be a new day here in the history of TCF where every member is evangelizing. I want to I pray that it, it'll be a new day um, and uh, lead us into a great future. I want to pray that every one of us would find our own authentic way to, to engage someone about Christ. I want to pray that we would persevere in evangelism. I know many times in my walk, I have gone through seasons of, of evangelism and then laid off for a while and felt that low level of guilt. I, I want to I pray that we will persevere in evangelism. We'll make it a lifestyle. I want to pray that as we evangelize, our boldness would swell and we would see signs and wonders. I want to pray that as we evangelize, our church would flourish and grow, and our call to the distant fields of harvest would exponentially multiply. I want to pray that we'll continue to see testimonies flowing Sunday after Sunday, and I want to build in ourselves this culture that where we believe and savor the fact that God can do anything. And that his ways are not our ways. Just like Karen, who would have ever thought of that except God? His creativity, his beauty, his power. um, And we're just along for the ride. If you agree with those prayers, I want to ask you to stand with me. And I don't want anybody to feel manipulated or, uh, you know... If, if you don't stand, something's wrong with you. But I do pray that everyone would resonate with these prayers. So, Father, we come before you as a people. 
We ask you, Lord, to forgive us, first of all, for seasons and days and weeks, maybe years, of easy believism. We pray that we would reject that from this day forward. We would separate ourselves from it. And Lord, we would be determined to stay evangelistic in our day-to-day life as we go. We pray, Lord, that it would be a new day for our church. It would be a new day in the history of TCF where every one of us is a part of that beehive evangelizing together for the advance of your kingdom. We pray that every member, Lord, would find their own unique way to authentically engage people about your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we would persevere. You talked about bearing fruit with perseverance, and we ask you to help us persevere, Lord, because in our own strength, we probably won't. So we need your help there. Father, we pray that as we evangelize, we would grow more and more bold. And uh, just, just that boldness, Lord, would result in people being saved and, and signs and wonders following. And that this place, our lives, would be shaken because of your move among us. Father, we pray that as we evangelize, our church would grow. And uh, Lord, we don't want to rely on transfer growth alone. We ask that as we evangelize, we would grow, that more families would come and join us, seniors, young people, and uh, that our unique call to the distant fields of harvest uh, would exponentially flourish, Lord. We pray for more missionaries in the future to support and to send out into the world. We want to pray, Lord, for uh, many, many, many testimonies like Karen's where we see your power manifested. We just believe that more testimonies will also uh, invigorate the life of Christ and uh, the working of the Spirit in ourselves and in the body. And then, Father, let us develop the culture here that is in agreement with your word, that all things are possible, that you are a miracle-working God yesterday, today, and forever, that you can do anything. And so, Lord, we just uh, put that upon ourselves as best we know how and, and ask your Holy Spirit to move in us. And uh, so we look forward to the days ahead, Father, and we, we give ourselves to you, and we ask you to help us now as we determine these things in this prayer in Jesus' name. And let's say amen together. Amen.